everybody doing? My name is Christian Wagner and I'm the Militant Thomist. So today we're going to be continuing our series on the Eucharist and specifically those promises and types of the Eucharist because we went over the institution narrative, went over John 6, and now we're going to be going over some of the Old Testament types. And the first one is going to be the type that is Melchizedek. So if you would like more information about specifically the typology of Melchizedek, Eric Ibarra, his book is actually really good. I did an interview with him on it, but the, the book is wonderful when it comes to specifically showing the patristic witness about the sacrifice of Melchizedek. So let's get right into it. So the thesis for today is going to be that the sacrifice made by Melchizedek was a type of the Eucharistic ministry, uh, mystery. So by type, uh, we, we mean something very specific by this. Type doesn't mean cute little illustration. Type doesn't mean some mere sort of similarity. Type means that it is a certain figure which is instituted by God in order to show forth in a different manner something which is in the future. That's what we mean specifically by type. So uh, the Melchizedek, he was made in order to show forth our Lord Jesus Christ. The the situation that he had uh, in bringing out bread and wine to give to Abraham, that was itself instituted by God, placed in the Old Testament, constituted in reality to be a signification of the mystery of the Eucharist. So that's specifically what we mean by type. We don't mean some sort of likeness. We don't need some sort of appropriation or accommodation. If you want more information about this, I have an article on my blog about the way in which the senses of scripture work. And then if you become a patron at patreon.com slash militantomist, I did do a video explaining uh, how types work. So that's exactly what we mean by type. Now, Something could be a type in a few different modes, especially when we're talking about the Eucharist, the way in which Melchizedek typifies the Eucharistic mystery. So there's three different ways that theologians have agreed upon, uh, well, have uh, posited. So the first way was that Melchizedek did not offer a sacrifice to God, but he typifies Christ in handing his companions bread and wine, just as Christ handed uh, bread and wine to the apostles. And this is the way in which a few theologians at the Council of Trent thought that Melchizedek typified our Lord. Uh, 
Then the second way, Melchizedek truly uh, sacrificing bread and wine. And the third way joins both of them. And the third way is the best way, in my opinion. I think in both of those actions, uh, Melchizedek is typifying our Lord Jesus Christ. But really, you only need the first way in order for this to, to work. So the Council of Trent in, does not directly and immediately uh, teach that Melchizedek actually offered a sacrifice, but it is implicit that he did offer uh, a sacrifice. So there is that, that relation is implicit. So the thesis uh, is Catholic doctrine. So again, it's not something of the faith where it would be uh, someone would necessarily lose the virtue of faith in denying this, but uh, there would be some sort of uh, danger or temerit, uh, it would be temerarious. I can never pronounce that word. So when we look back at Genesis 14, 18 at the scriptural witness, and I'm actually just going to just going to pull this up real quick from Dewey Reams. So just so we can see some of the language which is being used here, because that's where most of my argument is going to be. So, and the king of Salem, uh, king of Sodom, Salem, went out to meet him after he returned from the slaughter of uh, that guy, and of the kings that were with him in the vale of Sav, which is the king's vale. But Melchizedek, the king of Salem, bringing forth bread and wine, for he was the priest of the Most High God, blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by the Most High God who created heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God by whose protection the enemies are in thy hands. And he gave him the tithes of all. So the way, uh, so the previous context is that there was a certain battle that Abram had won, and then he was going, uh, he, he was going to uh, meet the the king of king of Sodom. And uh, with Melchizedek, Melchizedek uh, came in his way and brought forth bread and wine. And the reason he's bringing forth bread and wine is because he is the priest of the Most High God. Now, uh, why do we regard this as a sacrifice? Because if you see uh, from a very plain reading of this, it doesn't seem like he's sacrificing bread and wine, but that he's only bringing forth bread and wine. I'll highlight that real quick. He's only bringing forth bread and wine. So how do we get from this to uh, sacrifice? So there's a few different reasons, but the the main one um, is that uh, it is within the semantic range of this term of bringing out the semantic range is just the uh, possible uh, meanings that a certain uh, sign that is a certain word can have. It's within the possible meanings uh, of this of this word, the possible significations of it, that it is referring to sacrifice. So it, it it's possible. All, all right now in the in in the argument is that it's possible. But how do we know that it's actual? That that's actually what it's referring to? Because it seems it seems a lot easier that okay, it's bread and wine. Doesn't seem like anything's getting slaughtered here. It basically, kind of seems like a, a a sort of snack. Uh, he's bringing out a snack, maybe some gifts to uh, to be nice to them because they just won a, a hard fought battle. But it really is this second, this uh, immediate phrase afterwards, right there. We would regard this as what's called a uh, explanatory proposition, the way in which um, in the Latin Vulgate and in the Masoretic text that these two are related, that this four right there is um, an explanatory term 
making this an explanatory proposition. So uh, this explains uh, the the why of the bringing out of bread and wine. Why did he bring out bread and wine? Well, he brought out bread and wine because he was a priest of the Most High God. That's why he brought out bread and wine. So this explains the previous proposition right there. So uh, so when it comes to uh, the, the relationship between the two, uh, what what do priests do? And that that's fundamentally how how would this how would that explain this? Well, it would explain it well if it is a uh, if it has that if bringing forth had that sacrificial connotation, because um, it, it would it would make sense uh, if if it's a mere snack. If he said that he was a a cook of the Most High God or that he was a uh, a servant of the Most High God and bringing them forth food or or something to that effect, but it doesn't make sense that he's bringing forth a snack if he's a uh, if he's a priest of the Most High God. That doesn't explain the previous proposition. But what does explain the uh, the, the previous proposition is that this is a sacrificial offering that uh, that that he is bringing forth for them. So, uh, and then another reason that uh, we we can be sh- assured that this is sacrificial is what comes after uh, that that we see. Where is it? That there is a certain blessing, and you can even say covenant, that comes after in the latter half of the, the latter section of the chapter, which uh, oftentimes there's a sacrifice which is joined with such treatises uh, in the ancient world, and then also there's uh, there there's a meal which is usually joined with sacrifice. So the very fact that there was a a meal which is uh, being brought forth for them uh, also uh, gives us a hint into the fact that this was a sacrifice. Which is confirmed by uh, by ancient Christian and and Jewish exegetes. So uh, thinking about the uh, Melchizedek himself, uh, we see in the rest of Scripture that he's a type in the Christian priesthood. Um, that he is uh, bringing forth uh, bread and wine. It, it seems it seems extremely clear uh, from from the fact that one he's a type in. Christ's priesthood, and then what we've already established before, that Christ is act, ask, acting in a priestly role in him bringing forth bread and wine, it's it's relatively obvious uh, what's going on here, that this is itself a, a type for the Eucharist. So looking back at tradition, because that is uh, all that there is for the, the proof from sacred scripture, but looking back at tradition, what we see is from the from the earliest time, there's this connection made between uh, Melchizedek and the Eucharist. Uh, for example, in the famous section, St. Cyprian, and if you get Eric Ybarra's book, you'll get uh, a litany. I, I usually for these videos like to just keep it to one guy, who whoever's the earliest. Um, but St. Cyprian says he offered a sacrifice to God the Father and offered that very same thing which Melchizedek had offered. That is bread and wine, his body and blood. So with St. Cyprian, he's uh, describing how Christ is a priest after Melchizedek, and it's the sacrifice offered to God. Just as Melchizedek offers bread and wine, so Christ offers his body and blood, specifically uh, in reference to the Eucharist. And then this is also confirmed in the liturgy. Uh, If you look in the canon of the Mass, if you pay attention to, if you ever get uh, the the first, what what do they they call it? I can't remember what they call the different... uh, 
the different uh, uses or, or whatever. I guess I've been at the TLM too long to kind of remember what it says in the in the book. The, the different uses, you know, the different canons, I guess you could say. I think they call them different canons. But if you look at the first canon, uh, canon, I do remember that, is canon number one, uh, it's the Roman canon. If you read the Roman canon, it says, accept them as thou didst offering the, uh, the offerings of thy just servant Abel and the sacrifice of our patriarch Abraham. And that which thy high priest Melchizedek offered up to thee, a holy sacrifice, an immaculate victim. So the liturgy is also bringing forth uh, the same idea. Now, the strongest objection against this is, uh, is actually in Hebrews 7. Because when you read through Hebrews 7, there is an explanation of the, uh, the relationship between the typology of uh, Melchizedek and Christ. But the Eucharistic my uh, mystery is never mentioned, in this, which, which would seem like something which is uh, very obvious. Now, the, the easy way out, uh, you could say, is that uh, when it comes to the explanations in Hebrews, it doesn't explain every single little detail of the type. It, usually in the, in the New Testament, only the relevant details are brought forth. So, um, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's the easy way. But uh, Toledo actually uh, explains it, which I thought was very interesting that the Council of Toledo uh, explicitly talked about this. So it says that the purpose of St. Paul was to show against the Jews that the priesthood of the law would cease at the arrival of Christ and consequently the law itself. And he proves this because Christ would be a priest according to the order of Melchizedek forever. Therefore, the priesthood of Aaron must cease and be changed into the priesthood according to Melchizedek, which was different from the Aaronic, because the former was not according to a command of the law, but the latter is. For Paul, this was enough for his purpose, nor was it necessary for him to explain the differences of the offering, since the priesthood itself taught and proved that it was different. So it was really outside of St. Paul's scope to go into a long discourse about, about the Eucharist. Uh, if you look at all of all of Hebrews, it's basically to, to talk about uh, kind of a flash of how bare facts about uh, the new covenant are better uh, than that of the, the old covenant. So it's enough to talk about uh, the priesthood of Melchizedek versus the Aaronic priesthood, and then the sacrifice of Christ on the cross versus the, the sacrifices of the Old Testament. It's not really necessary to get into uh, uh, very explicit details about every single way in which the, the type is alike. Uh, in fact, uh, if you look at the the uh, six ways that are usually listed by the fathers and then by Hebrews itself, uh, it's very interesting uh, that that the type definitely goes goes far beyond um, beyond what is explicitly listed in Hebrews. So first, in his person, because he is without father, without mother, this is listed in Hebrews seven three. In his name, because he is called the King of Righteousness, which is in Hebrews seven two. In his royal dignity, because he is the King, indeed a King of Peace, in Hebrews seven two. In his priesthood, because he is a priest of the Most High, Hebrews seven three. And then there's uh, there's two more which actually are not listed uh, in Hebrews. So the first one, in the nature of his priesthood, because he was not anointed with sensible oil, nor a priest according to carnal generation, nor possessing a temporal priesthood, which is not mentioned in Hebrews. And then lastly, uh, in the offering, which he uh, offered bread and wine. Um, so uh, when it comes to the very nature of a priesthood, uh, along with priesthood besides blessing and teaching, there is there's offering. So, so it has to, uh, in, in our discussions about the relationship between Melchizedek and Christ, it has to come up uh, somewhere and somehow. 
So that is all I have for you. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe and to wait for other videos and God bless. Glory.